Hi, my name's Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 49 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out in July 2023. Big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel and making this podcast possible. And if you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. Good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, as always with these live streams, please let me know if you can hear me and you can see me okay. So yeah, welcome to July's live Q&A. Uh, as always, I'm going to be going through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance first from the BGG Guild. Uh, and then we're going to be going over to the live questions. So a big thank you to everybody for joining me today. If you have any questions for me and you're going to be here for the next hour and a half, then please hang fire. Uh, there will be an opportunity later on to ask those questions. But if you can't wait, Feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, start with the word question in capital letters. Vicky will transfer them into the doc and then we're all okay. Uh, I'm trying this stream, as you may notice, without the background on the right hand side. So it is just the chat coming up. If you can see that okay, then that's fine. If you can't see it, then I can, where is it? Uh, I can do that if we need to, which looks best. Let me, let me know which of those looks best, off or on. There's the first question for this interactive live Q&A. Um, right, so let's let's head on over to the questions that we've been asked. Before I dive into the questions, I wanted to just say, um, for those people who are new to this uh, show, what I do is I post a thread on my BGG Guild, usually the weekend before, uh, asking for people to ask questions in advance. So if you're not a member of the Guild on BoardGameGeek, please head on over to BoardGameGeek Guild number 2258, There'll be a link to that being posted in the chat any minute now. Uh, and there's not that much traffic on there. So don't worry, you're not going to get bombarded with notifications or anything. But if you join the guild and then subscribe to the guild, you will get a notification when I post a question thread uh, and then you can join in with the questions. So yeah, all of the questions that I'm going to be going through now are ones that I've been asked in advance on the Board Game Geek Guild, which is not Patreon only, it is open access to everybody. Um, and before we go into the questions, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody who has wished us both uh, best wishes for the wedding. So this is the last live Q&A as a single man, which is quite scary, isn't it? <laughs> I got a fly in the room as well. Well, I always get a fly in the room when I'm recording videos. Um, so yeah, so when I record the live Q&A for August, we will be married. And a lot of people have said, you know, congratulations and best wishes and things like that. So yeah, thank you very much to everybody uh, for all of that. Right, so on to Brian Robson, who is 90% of the time the first person to ask questions on the thread, um, which is, will we be taking any biscuits with us on our honeymoon? I don't think we'll be taking any with us. I mean, we might take some snacks for the plane on the way there in case we get peckish. Um, he says his wife likes to travel with a packet of shortbread fingers just in case of a biscuit emergency. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, what do we think would make the ideal honeymoon biscuit? I mean, anything that we like, really. <laughs> any of the normal stuff that we like. And do we plan on bringing any exotic biscuits back from our honeymoon? So no plans to bring any back, but it really depends what they have in Mauritius. If we spot something uh, that they have that's that's quite nice, then we, we may do that. Um, he says, well, well, I'm, I'm going to rearrange Brian's questions because he, he does have a gaming related question, but I'm going to swap it for the other one. He says, Brucey bonus question. Have I tried the Jaffa tea from Aldi yet? So apparently Aldi do a Jaffa tea. Not tried it yet. However... Vicky went shopping this afternoon and did spot in Home Bargains 
coconut macaroon hobnobs. So we've bought these just for you, Brian. I say just for you. Uh, we're going to eat them all. But yes. So yeah. Hobnobs, coconut macaroon. Totally going to gonna be having that. I might take some of them with me tonight, actually. Because tonight I'm off to Rick and Victoria's and we're going to be playing Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Part four of our campaign. Which segues nicely onto my next question from Brian, which is realistically, how far do we think we'll get through the Aeon Trespass Odyssey campaign? And this is a really good question because it is a daunting prospect. Aeon Trespass Odyssey uh, contains five cycles. Three of them are available right now and four and five are going to be released, I believe, next year. Um, and I've been told that there's like 500 hours of gameplay. Now, if that averages out to 100 hours per cycle, then you're looking at probably 30 game sessions, which if you're playing every week with the occasional miss, you're looking at almost a year just to complete one cycle of the game. And it's got five cycles. Now, I'm active on the Discord channel for this game, and there are some people there who have played some cycles. They've said it's only taken them 50 or 60 hours. Other people have said that it's taken them 150 hours to complete cycle one because they've had to replay it. So... It is a very good question. We, we've recently started playing it. We're on. We're doing part four of the campaign tonight. So we are about 10 or 12 hours in, probably 10 hours in. Uh, and the question is, realistically, are we, are we going to finish it? That's not the question. Realistically is, how far are you going to get through it? Now, I would love to get to the end of cycle one, at least, because if I don't get to the end of cycle one, I'll feel, well, what, you know, not what's been the point, which is what I was going to say, because we're enjoying it. So if we continue to enjoy it, great. But it's like watching, you know, a, a series of films in a series and then not watching the last one or a series of like TV series or something, a series, you know, you know what I mean? But then not watching the last series. Um, so I would like to finish cycle one. After that, who knows what the future holds? I don't know what next year is going to hold. Uh, I don't know whether I'm going to have time to carry on. I don't know whether we're still going to be enjoying it after that amount of time. I don't, I don't know these things. So realistically, I would like to say we're going to get to the end of cycle one. The next question from Brian is, have we ever completed or have I ever completed any long campaign games? And if so, do I think that they are worth the effort? So I'd like to say that we completed Gloomhaven in that we got to the end of scenario 51. So scenario 51 in the base game of Gloomhaven is the last scenario in the main storyline of the campaign but unlike a lot of other campaign games that's not the end uh it is just the main storyline has ended but you carry on playing there's lots and lots of other scenarios so when do you class gloomhaven as ending and this is this is a quick, my first question to those of you watching live or if you're watching this back afterwards leave me a comment in the video if you have played gloomhaven and you have completed it what do you class as completed? Do you class getting to level 9? Or do you class playing scenario 51? Or do you think you need to play every single scenario of the campaign in order to complete it? So yeah, let me know what you think. Um, was it worth it? Absolutely, because we enjoyed Gloomhaven and we played it a lot. And we carried on playing after we'd finished scenario 51 because there were many other adventures to, to explore. We also played through the first of the Tainted Grail campaigns. And was that worth it? Absolutely. Because... Um, whilst the gameplay of the original Tainted Grail was lacking in some areas, the narrative experience and the overall storyline was arguably some of the best that I've ever experienced in a game. 
well, it definitely was the best, uh, some of the best, this blooming fly <laughs> wasn't there. And then two minutes before I went live, the fly decided to join in. Get your own YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, so Tainted Grill definitely, definitely played that. I'm trying to think of any other campaign games. I've played Pandemic Legacy um, Season 1. Was that worth it? To be honest, no. I, I have to say that I'm glad I've done it. But after about six or seven games, I was getting a little mm, with it. Whereas the other ones, yeah. An Arkham Horror of the Card Game. I've played multiple campaigns of that. Each one of those is only eight sessions, so not not your big epic campaign games, you know, that last for, for months or years. Um, right. Next question from Mike. After working in the industry for a number of years, how do I think my relationship to board games and the industry has changed? Hang on, I'm going to get this fly. No, I didn't get it. Never mind. Um, so let's just go over that again. After working in the industry for a number of years, how do I think my relationship to board games and the industry has changed? Now, Mike's got an example, but I'm going to answer that first question first. Um, my relationship with board games and the industry has changed a lot. So when I first went to uh, Essen, for example, Essen Spiel in Germany, uh, was 23 years ago. And at that time, I was just a passionate gamer. I had a full-time job. Uh, and I went there and I experienced it and I spent lots of money on games and I came back with loads of new games and I bought lots of games and I played lots of games. And, you know, that's what most people watching this video do. Just gamers buy games, play games. Kickstarter wasn't a thing back then. Obviously, the hobby has changed and things like that. Whereas now, <laughs> 23 years on from that, uh, I am now actively refusing publishers who offer to send me copies of games for free and if a publisher actually sends me a game which arrives in the post and I didn't know they were sending it I actually write to them and ask them politely please don't do this anymore because what happens is I get sent a game from a publisher for free that I didn't ask for that I've had no correspondence with them on I don't have time to cover all of the games that I have, let alone getting random new games in the post. Um, and all it does is it just makes me feel bad. It makes me feel bad because they've sent me a game, so they've paid for the production of the game, the postage, all of that lot, and it's going to sit there on my shelf and it's never going to get played. Um, so, yeah, so I don't, I don't accept games anymore except ones that I am in discussion with them or that I specifically request. Occasionally, I will really, really like the look of a game and I will request request a review copy. Um, but I don't get games sent to me anymore just, just randomly. So, yes, yeah, so my, my, my position with the hobby has changed massively. And now when I go to conventions, I no longer spend, you know, three or four days walking around the halls, playing as many new games as I can, searching for new games, you know, playing playing all of them, trying them out, buying loads. I don't do that anymore. I now go and I meet up with friends. I meet up with Patreon supporters. Um, I, I speak to a lot of publishers who I've got to know over the years. I, I, I spent most of UK Games Expo, um, you know, when I wasn't demoing Marrakesh in New York City, just going around and spending half an hour chatting with, you know, Benji from Osprey Games or, you know, Richard from Folded Space or people like that, just going around and just chatting with these people. Not necessarily business meetings. They weren't, none of them were business meetings. They were just, I like these people and I get on with these people. 
and I go round and I chat with them and we catch up and we have a good we have a good chat. So yeah, uh, my 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 relationship with with board games and the industry has changed a lot. Now Mike went on to say, for example, he says, now that I'm a YouTube person and I interact with the elusive algorithm, do I view content made by others differently than maybe I used to before I started working in the industry? Now, YouTubers that were around creating board game content 10 years ago, it was a small handful of people. Now, the the hobby is absolutely saturated with hundreds and hundreds of board game content creators. So it is very, very different. Uh, and he says, perhaps I understand or uh, get frustrated by the clickbait type of content. Do I see any of the dark machinations between publisher and content creators that Reddit would have you believe is rife? Um, so uh, talking about all of that stuff is, a, is opening a big can of worms. Um, I've spoken previously about the uh, the, the sometimes the frustration that I have when I will spend 25 to 30 hours working on a video uh, and that video is really good quality and it might get maybe 2,000 views or I will do an interview for example with Isaac Childress about oh, everything that's new and exciting for Gloomhaven that has raised 21 billion trillion dollars or whatever um, and those videos will get less than 2,000 views. And at the same time, some random person points a webcam at them and rants for five minutes about something with no prep, no editing, really bad quality. Well, some of them are good quality. Um, and they will get 30,000 views and hundreds and hundreds of comments. So it, it is a little frustrating that I'm trying to put out quality work that requires a lot of forethought, a lot of planning, a lot of, uh, you know, a, work, a lot of work in the background. And... You know, some other channels are just getting massive success out of recording, you know, whatever they whatever they call it. But that's it. I, I don't I can't do videos like that myself. I don't want to do videos like that myself. But clearly that's what the majority of people do want to see. Um, so, yeah, that is a that is a little bit of frustration. Uh, as far as the clickbait content goes, again, I, I've, I've spoken about this before. I don't use clickbait in my videos. I don't like it. Um, I think it's just a bad way of running things, but everybody who does gets massive amounts more views and engagement. So that's just the reality of the situation. Next question from Peter. In my opinion, do I think that my number one game of all time, well, your number one game of all time, let, let's put this question to you. Do you think that your number one favourite game of all time could be a game that was a play once game and you're done with. So he's saying, with the exception of legacy and one-time games, for example, the exit games or the unlock games, do you think that a number one game, for a game to be classed as your number one game, has to be so good that you're still playing it now? Um, I mean, he does say with the exception of legacy and one-time games, but it, it's an interesting question. So if we just go back to Pandemic Legacy, which I talked about, I've played it, I've done it. I'm not going to play that game again. Um, I mean, I know people that have played Pandemic Legacy Season 1 multiple times, but it isn't a game I don't think that you can keep going back to over and over and over again. It has a limited playability. Now, I know some people who Pandemic Legacy is their favourite game. For me, to answer your question, Peter, I could never, I don't think I could ever class a game like that as my favourite game. So even if I enjoyed the experience of playing Pandemic Legacy Season 1 
better than any other game that I've ever played, I couldn't personally put it as my number one game. Because for me, a number one game has to be uh, a game which I can keep going back to many, many, many times and has huge amounts of variability, good at multiple player counts and all, all of that kind of thing kind of thing that's when I, when i rate a game i'm rating it not just on i've played a game did i enjoy that game i'm i'm rating it on all of those different things was the rule book good was the graphic design good you know how good was the, the experience is the playtime worth it for the complexity of the rules uh how much immersion did i feel in the game and can i keep going going back to the game year after year and does it still keep giving does it still keep giving me the same thing five ten years on um, so yeah, so for me, it would have to factor in those things as well. But I'm interested to see what you think. Uh, next question from Bretak. Would my top 10 games based on satisfying, and he's used quotes, so I'm going to use the quotes here, used on, based on satisfying mechanics versus fun be the same or different? Or would there be some overlap? Uh, so as I've said many times before, I'm a mechanisms person, right? I, I For me, a game is good because the mechanisms are good. And whilst occasionally I might get some enjoyment of playing games which are like, you know, roll for resolution or things like that, um, and I will play some games where there are some mechanisms that I might not like. For example, the Arkham Horror Card game, one of my favourite games of all time, has three mechanisms in it which I dislike in games. But it's just such a good game anyway. Um, but for me playing a game that has great mechanisms that's the bit that i enjoy so that for me is fun i'm not a kind of person who is i remember getting a little frustrated by various people at various game groups that go oh let's play this game it's a fun game and their definition of fun meant it's a bad game but it's just fun to play i don't get any enjoyment of playing bad games even if they are technically supposed to be fun. You know, if you said to me, Paul, let's let's do something different. Instead of playing a beige Euro tonight, let's play this fun new game that I've got. Okay, what, what do we do in this fun new game? Well, we literally just flick pieces across the board at each other. And whenever one piece hits another, we have to take a drink of alcohol and then we run around the room with balloons. Right. No, thank you. Let's sit down and play a dry beige Euro instead because I will have more fun playing that dry beige euro than running around the room with balloons flicking pieces at each other um so yeah for me the definition of a fun game is kind of uh yeah it's got it's got associations with a bad game now that's that's not to say that there aren't some very good fun games and i refer to things like just one so clover code names and and lots of other games as well those games are great games and they are huge amounts of fun to play so it's not that I don't like having fun. It's just that I don't get any amount of fun over silly games that are not well designed. If, I think is what I'm trying to say. Next question from Chris Danton. Are we taking any games with us on Honeymoon? Well, yes and no. We're not taking any board games with us. Um, we are taking some of these game books. Um, so... Do you want to pop downstairs and get it? So Vicky's parents, for my birthday, it was my birthday recently, um, got me a Sherlock Holmes-themed game book that Vicky's going to pop downstairs and get right now, which I've never seen before. Uh, and it's the kind of game books... Well, 
we we think it's the kind of game books that we like playing um so we're going to do that i've also got up on the shelf up there i have the first five books from the van rider games graphic adventure novels graphic novel adventures it's the gna i think it is um and we've not we, we've sort of tried with a couple of those but we're probably going to take those with us now those will be for um the plane because it's going to be a long long journey um but also possibly evenings if we get bored of speaking to each other now this is a green book so i don't know how this is going to show up on camera oh it kind of it kind of shows up yeah so this is a sherlock holmes escape book uh this is not product placement i'm not being paid anything to show you this um it's by ormond sacker we don't know anything about it um other than it's the adventure of the london waterworks so it's an escape room book with a dial on the front um with presumably puzzles in it that you have to solve so yeah we're going to take that with us for sure uh what's next question from martin this is a good question is there a saturation point for certain designers for example and these are martin's designers that he's mentioning not mine stefan feld uve rosenberg vita lacerda etc <laughs> uh, or game genres like big campaign games legacy games so do is there a saturation point for certain designers or certain styles of games in which there is nothing new it's just tried and tested with a new skin so for me the answer to that is a very simple no um those designers that you mentioned uh keep doing stuff which i'm interested in uve rosenberg has done countless farming games Stefan Feld has done countless point salad games. Uh, Vittel has done countless heavy games. But all of them, every year, are designing new games that I'm interested in. And I will... I don't think I'll ever get bored, you know? When, when a new game from one of them comes out, I will be interested in it. And also, if we look at, you know, are there too many big campaign games? Are they all doing the same thing? Is it just a reskin? No, they're all different. And there's so many of them now. You know, when I was looking into A and Trespass Odyssey... I suddenly became aware that there's way more of these big epic campaign games than I even realised. There's so many of them out there and none of us are going to have time to play all of them. Um, but yet they are all different. There, there might be some similarities between them, but overall I think they are quite different. That's my, my thoughts anyway. Next question from Chris Dearlove. Uh, he's got a couple of linked questions about advertising. He's, ask, he's saying, and he's asking... Do I have any control over what kind of adverts are served up before my videos? So the answer to that is no. Um, YouTube chooses adverts for you based on what it knows about you. I think I think that's how it works. Um, I have absolutely no control over the adverts that you get. Um, but I am curious to know how many people... Uh, watching this video, let us know in the comments what advert you got when you watched this video. So if you're watching this live, let us know now if you got an advert at the start of it. Did you get an advert? Yeah, so Vicky got an advert. Um, or if you're watching this back afterwards, let me know, as long as it's not too embarrassing, let me know um, what, what video, what thing you got an advert for. Now, if you've got a YouTube premium membership, you won't get any adverts, but I'm curious. So I you know, and I get I get adverts when watching my own videos back. It's really annoying. I go to one of my videos to get a screenshot and I have to get the advert. Um, but it raises money for charity. For those people who don't know, I make no money whatsoever out of the advertising on YouTube. 
uh, I do make the money, but then we give it all to charity. So we give approximately seven or eight thousand pound every year to charity, which is all of the advertising revenue. So, yeah, for those people who get really annoyed by the adverts, um, then certainly for my channel, it all goes to charity. Um, now, Chris is also saying he presumes that it's an option that I choose. It is. I, I choose when to put adverts in the video. And I absolutely hate mid-roll adverts. So you will find that none of my videos have mid-roll adverts in them, apart from some of my really old ones, because YouTube a few years ago forced everybody to have adverts and it manda it, it, it placed, I had no choice in this whatsoever. It went back through every single video that I've ever done and it put mid-roll adverts in every single one of them. And I had no control over that and I hate it. And every so often, somebody will complain that one of my adverts has mid-roll adverts in it. One of my older videos has mid-roll adverts in, so I go in and I remove them. Um, now, there are many, many other YouTube channels out there that have mid-roll adverts every five minutes, and they don't seem to get any complaints. Um, but I personally hate mid-roll adverts, so you will not find any mid-roll adverts on any of the videos that I've been creating for the last few years. So I do have control over that. But Chris is asking, if I did have mid-roll adverts, can you control where they would be inserted? And the answer is yes. On the YouTube uh, content creation tools that I have available to me, you can either say mid-roll adverts and it just does them automatically whenever, literally in the middle of when you're talking. And most people do that. Or you can actually go in and you can move them around and you can control when they are. Now, that takes time and effort. So most people don't bother doing that. But yeah, I hate mid-roll adverts. I will be honest with you. When I'm watching videos on YouTube from another content creator, even if I'm enjoying it, as soon as I hit the first mid-roll advert, I stop. I stop watching that video because I hate them so much um, that I will get to the first mid-roll advert and I will just, I will stop. So that that's me. That's, that's personally, that's what I do. And that's why I don't have them on my videos. Yet, I would make a lot more money for charity if, if I did have them on there, but I really don't want them on there. Uh, right, next question from Ben Filler. Are there any gaming links planned for the wedding? Yeah, what we're doing is as soon as we've had the ceremony, I'm disappearing for a eight player game of Twilight Imperium. Um, is that all right? Uh, no, we, we don't have any, uh, well, we, we do have some garden games. So we have, what have we got? We've got Connect Four, because Vicky's world champion at Connect Four. Um, we have Hooker Duck, because that's funny. We have Coits, no? Throw things at a wall. Oh, throw throw things at a wall and knock things off. And Ring Toss. Uh, we've also got Jenga, and we've also got Bulls. So we've got some garden games planned, but we don't have any games games planned. Now, we did talk about taking Codenames Just One and So Clover uh, for the evening, because there is going to be quite a few gamers there for the evening, um, and not everybody's going to want to, um, you know, join in with the Kaylee dancing all the time. Is it Kaylee? It's weird, because our contact at the wedding venue is also called Kaylee, so it confuses me. Um... Anyway, we, we might be taking some some party games like that for people to play in the evening if they want to in the bar area. Um, but other than that, no. Have we picked a honeymoon destination? Yes, we have, and it's all booked. We're off to Mauritius for a couple of weeks. Um, final question from Ben. 
if I could only eat if I could only eat one type of cuisine for the rest of my life, what would I choose? I would choose Vicky's cooking because she makes amazing food and no, is that cheating? I would say probably Mexican. Mexican is probably the one type of food that I like the best. Um, I don't think I'd ever get bored of Mexican. Um, next question from Eric. And I'm really, really, this warmed my heart when I saw this message because uh, I didn't realise that Eric was actually on my BGG guild. Um, will I be attending Essenspiel 2023? Yes, I absolutely will. Uh, for those people who don't know who Eric is, uh, Eric turned up at the last Gaming Rules uh, meetup on the Thursday night at Essen and he was wearing, him and his daughter were wearing t-shirts from the Esoteric Order of Board Gamers. Uh, sorry, the Esoteric Order of Gamers, which is a guy called Peter Gifford down in New Zealand. He's been running the Esoteric Order uh, of Gamers for for a very, very long time. And I've known Peter for a while and I'm one of his patron supporters and I'm active on his Discord channel. And then I turned up at my meetup and there they were wearing the these Esoteric Order of Gamers uh, t-shirts, which was really, really nice. So yes, Eric, if you're, if you're listening to this, I will be there. Um, and Eric is also now a Patreon supporter of them. Not a Patreon supporter of mine though, Eric, but that's fine. That's fine. I will see you there this year, same time, same place, Thursday night in Fitzpatrick's. Uh, and he's asking, are there any gaming rules, uh, are there any t-shirts with the gaming rules logo? So I did make some many, many years ago. Um, and it's one of the things that I've thought about doing again, but it's just one of those things that I've, I've never got round to, to doing again. Right, next question from uh, Gavin. Do I find that my taste and enjoyment of games varies depending on how my regular gaming group views the games? And the answer to that is, no, screw them. I play what I want, and if they don't like it, tough. Um, the reality is that, thankfully, I'm in a fortunate position that whilst the local... I mean, I don't have one local gaming group. I have people that come around regularly and join me for live streams, and you'll see them on the channel on Fridays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, whatever. Um, and they don't all have exactly the same game tastes. But thankfully, I have enough people around me that depending on what game I'm playing, um, there's normally people who will be interested. And to be fair to those people who come around uh, and, and join in my live streams, they are generally open-minded and they will play anything. Um, but I know that some of them have stronger preferences for some things than others. So yeah, I'm never in a position, I don't think, where I'm, oh, I really want to play this game, but I literally don't know anybody else who wants to play it. I think I could go through most of the games in my collection uh, and I would probably be able to find people to play any of them. Um, so yeah, so that's good. Next question from Slayer1. What is it with Mage Knight that makes it my number one game of all time? And what would it require for a game to push down Mage Knight from the throne? Um, so what makes it my number one game of all time is something called science. Um, it's been scientifically proven that Mage Knight is the best game of all time. And I don't want to disagree with scientists. So that that's why it's my number one game of all time. Uh, and if it's not your number one game of all time, then yeah, well, what would it... No, re realistically, what makes it my number one game of all time? I mean, I kind of hinted at this earlier on. Mage Knight for me has the uh, almost infinite replayability. It has... It's good at different play accounts. It has a, a cooperative mode. It has a competitive mode. It has different scenarios. And even if you play the, each the same scenario, the way that the map layout comes, the different characters, 
just the way that the game evolves it is a different puzzle and it's a different challenge every time you play and that puzzle is so satisfying um you know i know people who absolutely hate mage knight they don't like deterministic combat they don't like the puzzle aspect of the game but for me mage knight has that epic feeling of a grand game where your your character is improving and you get so much better by the end of the game than you were at the start of the game but in the space of a few hours um or six or seven hours if you're playing like a three-player game um and yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. Now, I don't play it as much as I'd like to. What would it take for a game to push down Mage Knight from the throne? Well, there are some games that have come along in the last few years that I have enjoyed so much that I have actually thought, I wonder if this is a better game than Mage Knight. Um, and sometimes in my mind, they go, oh, wait a minute, I, I think this is better than Mage Knight. But... Ultimately, and I end up just going back to Mage Knight um, because I grew up with fantasy. Fantasy is probably my favourite genre um, and, and it, it's got all of that in there. So, yeah, I love it. Next question from Scott. What games do I think missed the mark and did a new skin help it to be more appreciated? So he's got some examples here. Um, Carolus Magnus versus... Ariantis. Now I've heard of Carolus Magnus. I've played it and I used to own it. I don't know Ariantis, but presumably that's a reskin version of it. Then he says Balloon Cup versus Piñata. Don't know either of those games. I think I've heard of Balloon Cup. And Cloud Nine versus Celestia. I don't think I've heard of either of those games. And then Gaia Project versus Terra Mystica. So let's go to the question. What games do I think have missed the mark? I actually think there are a few games which for me missed the mark but it all really depends on your definition of well what does that mean what does missed the mark mean for me there are a number of games that come out every year which i i might have seen it i might have read the rule book or thought this looks like it could be a really good game and then i played it and it ended up being a little bit disappointing um that for me means that the game missed the mark it came out, it wasn't as good as I was expecting it to be. It didn't quite do it right for me. Um, or the game just fell flat. And six months later, nobody's playing it. And you, this is, this is the hobby. This is the state of the hobby. And this is how we've been for the last five years. There are very few games that come out every year where the next year people are still playing them. And being a YouTube content creator, I am... I'm not part of the problem because I do still play older games now and again, but a, there's a lot of other YouTube content creators out there and no criticism if you're watching this and you're one of them that constantly just cover new games. And if a game is more than two months old, they're not interested because they're always covering the new games. And they, they get a game, they cover it on the channel and they forget about it and they move on and then they get the next game and they cover it on the channel and they move on and it's just a constant cycle of new games. And I get that. And a lot of people do that. I don't like to do that. I do like to go back and play some older games now and again. Um, but yeah, there are so many games that come out every year, which come out. And even the ones which sometimes get popular six months later, nobody's playing them anymore. Does that mean they missed the mark or is that just the state of the hobby as it is? Um, now, in terms of the ones I do know from the list, Gaia Project versus Terra Mystica. I would never, ever say that Terra Mystica missed the mark. Terra Mystica was a fantastic game when it came out. It is still a fantastic game. I think Gaia Project is a better version of Terra Mystica because it fixes 
a couple of the, the issues with Terra Mystica, but that's not to say that Terra Mystica missed the mark. I don't think it did at all. Right, next question from Antonio. Have I thought about sending small merchandise, stickers, mugs, hats with the Gaming Rules logo on? Ah, this is one of what I was mentioning earlier on. Uh, to give fans the further option to support me and get real life stuff, not just the virtual videos. Yes, I've thought about it a lot, but I've never got round to doing it. And I know there's a, there's a number of other content creators um, that have deals with t-shirt printing companies. Uh, I've never really looked into that and nobody's ever approached me about it. And whenever I've looked at them, they've always looked really expensive. I don't know. Tell me, am I, am I right in this? You know, I'll see one of my content creators that I follow say, oh, you can now buy a, a you know, a gaming rules t-shirt and you go on and it's like $25. Is that, is that the going price for a t-shirt these days? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've thought about it. I've thought about, you know, t-shirts, hats, mugs, whatever, but it's just one of those things that I've not got round to, to really doing. Um, but I'm curious, if if I was to do that, would you be interested? And I don't know how it would work. One thing that I wouldn't want to do is I wouldn't want to get them made and sent here and then us have to send them out because we barely have time to get the housework done each week, let alone, you know, packaging up mugs to people. So it would be probably something that I would have to find a company that would do it. Um, and as I say, I've not really looked into the logistics of that. Next question from Augustine is, how would I recommend starting or finding a local gaming group specifically for Euro-style board games? He says that there are some D&D groups in his area, uh, but that's not really his thing. So the, the way that I would do it is I would use Facebook groups. I would use a Meetup, if that's still a thing. I would basically Google search um, and I would go to game shops and go to game shops, speak to the person who runs the game shop, join in with games nights. I mean, that's, this is how I did it. When I first moved to uh, this area of the country, um, I found that the local game store in Exeter, which was Clifton Road Games, had games nights on a Tuesday night or a Monday night, whenever it was. Uh, and half of the friends that I have are met through that. And then obviously over time, you find more gaming groups and you find other people and you find other groups everywhere else. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I did as I found the local game store. Now, thankfully, they were having they had a games night, so that, that was handy. But even if they're not having a games night, you could speak to the owner, you can maybe put a poster up or, or something like that. So yeah, various various ways of doing it. Uh, next question from Small Paul Snugs. Do I have a game that I like to play to defrag, i.e. something that I can just kick back and play because I know I'll be calmer afterwards? Not really. I, I don't have any game that I can think, oh, I'm, re I'm really, really stressed. I'll, I'm going to go and play a game to de-stress. Um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work like that for me. I don't have like a comfort game that I can go to to just sort of, you know, zone out and enjoy afterwards. Um, I, I have the occasional computer game that I can do um, to do that, but not really as a board game. Uh, he says they recently... Uh, Took a couple of laminated Ganshon clever sheets on holiday, which worked really well. And are we thinking of taking any games on holiday? Yes, the game books. And Ganshon clever as well? We don't have it. I can borrow it of Mark and Sally if you want. Okay, did we? Okay, but we don't have it. No, we don't have it. Okay, so I might have to borrow that. Uh, next question from Avrom. Uh, he says, I believe you've stated that your preference will almost always be in-person games with physical components. Yes, 
You are correct. Um, through the ages being one exception. I do, however, play some games on Board Game Arena or Tabletop Simulator. I do, a lot. Um, has that also extended to any games on the smartphone? If so, do I have any recommendations? So I'm not really a smartphone user. I do have a phone somewhere, wherever it is. Um, but because I work from home and I hardly ever leave the house, my phone is off most of the time. And then when I do need it, I suddenly find that it's out of battery. And uh, yeah. Now, since we've been going to the gym uh, on, a, on a regular basis, I do find that my phone is, generally speaking these days, more charged. Because when I go to the gym, I watch YouTube videos or I listen to audiobooks or something like that. Um, but I don't play any games on my smartphone. I do on the iPad, but I don't on the smartphone. Since my smartphone is an iPhone and my iPad is an iPad, they are both iOS. So I guess that the games that I play on iPad are also available on on, on, on the iPhone. Um, but they are they are the board game ones. They are like through the ages and things like that. I don't have any... I mean, I used to play a lot of Gwent, which I think is a fantastic game. I used to play Marvel Snap. I've played a lot of Hearthstone over the years. So there are various games like that that I've played on the on the iPad. Um, but I don't play any games on the smartphone. Um, but yeah, Through the Ages is the perfect example because the app for that, either on Steam or on the iPad, is fantastic. And I do know people that play Through the Ages on a smartphone, and I have no idea how, because um, everything is so tiny. Next question from Stuart. Um, we've got a few questions left. Yep, a few questions left for the live questions. Uh, for the in-advance questions. What game defeats me? and spends time on the shelf because of the setup or teardown time alone. None of them. Um, I, I am not put off at all in any way by a long setup or, or takedown time. That That is not something that factors into my decision to play a game. Uh, you know, we played Voidfall last night. It took us probably 40 minutes to set up the game and another 30 minutes to put it away afterwards. That didn't change my enjoyment of the game whatsoever. So there is no game that I have in my collection where the setup or teardown time restricts me from playing it. Um, there are certain games in my collection that do stay on the shelf and in the box because they are too heavy, too complex. And although I play heavy, complex games, I will only play them if I know the rules of them really, really well. So in a few years' time... There are certain games in my collection which I'm like, do I have the mental capacity to go back and relearn this game? Is it worth it? And for me, some of them, no. And I'm not going to list a few of them here. If you really want to know, I will send you a message on Slack tonight. But there are at least three or four games in my collection that years ago I would have played. And I, and I like the games and I would have played them. But now the prospect of having to go back to them and having to relearn them and go through that painful process of relearning them because they're really complex is not something that I can be bothered to do when I've got many, many other games that I don't have to do that for. Uh, next question also from Stuart. Do I have a favourite game board either because of its functional design or purely because of the artwork? Ah, you see, I misread that question. I thought you said... Do I have a favourite board game because of its functional design or purely because of the artwork? You didn't say that. You said, do I have a favourite game board either because of its functional design or purely because of the artwork? So the question that I've written here 
is 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 irrelevant because I misread your question. This is a question that we're going to put on the guild. So assuming Chris is watching, Chrissy is watching, excellent. Uh, would you mind going over to the guild and putting this question on there from Stuart? And the question is, um, what is your favourite board? What is your favourite game board? Either because of its functional design or purely because of its artwork. Uh, and if you want to know how to join in, I'd love you to be able to join in the conversation on this. Head on over to the guild, guild number 2258, click the join button, click the subscribe button. And in a few minutes time, there will be a new question on there. Chris is going to post it, but it's from Stuart, uh, which is basically your favorite game board. The first one that comes to mind for me is Pillars of the Earth, because I think the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and in fact, most games from that artist, I love the art style. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll read through all of the uh, the answers to that thread later on tonight. Next question from Angus Lee. Now, interesting, Angus. You said you were going to ask me a comic book related question, and as soon as I saw your question appear on the guild, the question is, what was the first comic book that you read, and what was the story about? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to remember that. I've just turned fifty three. I read my first comic book probably when I was a kid. There's no way that I'm ever going to remember what the first one was. And then suddenly I remembered. And this was 1977 and I read the Marvel Star Wars comic. Now, I'm going to say that this was my first one. I may have read one before that, but I don't think I did. So in 1977, when the first Star Wars film came out, uh, Marvel released a series of Star Wars comics uh, at the time. And I, and I got them because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I was back then, uh, and I remember reading them. And, and I was actually telling this story to my future brother-in-law uh, and nephew just this last weekend, that what was really interesting about these comics is that the script for the film was sent to the, uh, the comic writers who were creating the comics before the final edit of the film. So what that meant was the deleted scenes from Star Wars Episode 4 were already in the comics. And I remember reading these comics and getting very confused because I was only seven years old and I was thinking, the scenes in here which are not in the film, I don't understand. Is this a different story or what? And it turns out that they were just the deleted scenes that got extracted in the final edit, but they'd already been written in the comic. So, yeah. I think the Marvel, and I used to have like the first 20 or 30 of them. I lost them. I probably lent them to a friend like 40 years ago and never got them back. They're probably worth a fortune now. But yeah, I think that's the first one. So what was the story about? It was Star Wars Episode 4. Um, there were like six six episodes about that. And then it started exploring the rest of the Star Wars universe. Um, yeah. Three questions left. Um... This is from Dorrit. Apart from Gridcon, what is my favourite conventions that I have been to and why? I've been to a lot of conventions over the years and I like them all for different reasons. Well, not all of them. There's some conventions that I've been to that were not that enjoyable. Um, but I love going to Essen every year. I, I've loved going to Gen Con. Gen Con is just a magical, magical place. Fantastic. Really, really good. Been to Origins a few times. That was good. BGG Con was really good. In the UK, uh, Manacon is one of my favourite uh, conventions. Bacon that I go to every year, Handicon as well. Um, so yeah, there's a few UK conventions that I, I go to each year. Um, and obviously UK Games Expo for different reasons. You know, you know, Handicon, Bacon and Manicon are gaming conventions where I go and I sit and I play games. UK Games Expo, I'm just 
so happy that we have a convention the, the size of UK Games Expo in, in the UK. Uh, next question from Phil. What is my favourite game to play that uses a regular deck of cards? Another question which I thought I'm not going to be able to answer this because I don't know many card games that just use a regular deck of cards. And then I remembered Regicide. And Regicide is fantastic, so probably Regicide. And have I ever played a game using a tarot deck? And if so, what was my favourite? I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever played a game using a, a tarot deck of cards. Right, that is it for all of the questions that I've been asked in advance. So again, a big thank you to everybody who's asked those questions. Uh, and if you're watching this video live and you think, oh, I'd like to ask Paul a question ready for the next Q&A, then hang fire because the thread isn't there yet. But in about four weeks time, I will create a thread on the Guild asking for what questions we have in August. Now, Vicky's made a mere before announcing the contest, there's a problem with the link. It says July 23, but it's not accepting any more responses. Right. Okay, thank you for that. So let's just fix that. Contest time. So every month as part of these uh, live Q&As, I do a contest where you can win £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Uh, now, this show is not sponsored in any way. I don't receive any money for creating this video. Uh, so a big thank you to all of my patron supporters that make these videos possible. Um, but Games Law give me £25 every month to give away to you. And then I add to that £25 worth of my own money. So somebody who is watching this video can win £50 worth of vouchers. And I'm just going to fix the form so that it works. The form is fixed. So to enter the contest, what you need to do is you need to click on the link, which Vicky is going to put in the chat right now. And could you put it in the video description as well? Um, and basically, you need to just let me know your name, your email address, uh, the secret word, and whether you are a patron supporter or not. And this month is going to be special because I have no idea what the secret word is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the contest a little differently. We're not going to have a secret word. I'm going to ask you to put your choice of secret word. The reason why I'm doing this is you might think this is strange and the looks that I'm getting from the other side of the table. The only people that enter this contest are the people who watch the video. So the fact that I have a you, you need to enter the secret word in order to enter the contest. Every single person who enters the contest puts the secret word. Nobody gets it wrong. So last month's contest, the, the secret word was Princess of Florence. And we had 160 entries, all of which said Princess of Florence. So I'm going to do things a little differently this time. And I'm going to ask you to put your choice of secret word in there. And I will scroll down the list and I won't release the information to anybody. So you can be as rude as you want to be. Um, and I will I will have a look at them. But basically what I'll do is uh, on the morning of the next Q&A, which will be the second Wednesday in August. Yes, second Wednesday in August, whatever date that is. Let me just check. The 9th. So on the morning of the 9th of August, 2023, I will close the contest uh, and I will pick a winner. And if you're a patron supporter, you get double entries into the hat. Uh, if you're not a patron supporter, you can still enter the contest, but you only get one entry in. Uh, and the winner of last month's contest is Mindy Frank. So congratulations, Mindy. I've already let you know and you've already acknowledged it. Uh, yeah, I did the draw this morning and your name came out. So yeah, thank you very much for your support on Patreon uh, over all of the time that you've been with me as a patron supporter. And congratulations at winning 
50 pounds worth of vouchers from games law games law is the uk's largest um hobby games distributor in the uk or retailer should i say um and yeah thank you very much to games law for supporting the channel by by giving me that as a giveaway so that's it that's that's the contest secret word is whatever you want it to be right now we're going to go to the live questions now you've seen the live questions coming in are there any that are going to stump me <laughs> well i haven't had any time to prepare for these this is where it gets fun marco says he loved my Age of Steam playthroughs. Interestingly, you mentioned that. I've been really wanting to do some more Age of Steam playthroughs recently. What is my favourite map of Age of Steam? I honestly haven't played it enough. So I, I don't have a favourite map from Age of Steam. I don't even remember which maps I've played. Um, and I've only got the base deluxe game. I am aware that Eagle Griffin have, gone, uh, have done multiple map packs... And I have a very good relationship with Eagle Griffin Games. And if I if I wanted to, I could have contacted them and said, oh, I like Age of Steam. Would I be able to get a copy of all of these extra map packs? But to be honest, I've not played the game in over a year and I don't feel that I've covered it enough on the channel. Uh, I don't feel comfortable in asking for more stuff for a game that I haven't really covered. So I'd love to spend more time playing Age of Steam. Although I will be honest with you, and Age of Steam fans are going to absolutely hate me for this, I prefer playing Age of Steam with the variant that you can take loans at any time. And I know if you're a purist and you think I've totally and utterly ruined the entire game with that variant rule, let me tell you, it doesn't totally and utterly ruin the game. Okay, it might it might ruin your game if you're a purist and you want the absolute, you know, by the book experience of Age of Steam, play with the original rules. But I can absolutely promise you Allowing players to take loans whenever they want changes the game, but it's still a perfectly playable game. Um, anyway, that, that's my thoughts on it. So yeah, Age of Steam, like the game, want to play it more, but haven't played it enough uh, for a favourite map. But let's ask you, if you are an Age of Steam player, let me know what your favourite map is. Either if you're watching this live, let me know in the in the comments now, or if you're watching this back afterwards... Just let me know in the comments. If you're an Age of Steam player, what is your favourite map? Next question from Graham Charton. Uh, what game am I looking forward to most from Essen? And why is it Planter Nubo? So there are a few games coming out at Essen this year, which I am looking forward to. Planter Nubo is one of them. I don't have any um, relationship with the publisher, but I will very likely be contacting the publisher to ask them for a review copy of this game because it's designed by uh, um, Andreas Odenhal or Oda, um, Michael Keller and Uwe Rosenberg. The three of them have got together. So that's that's ticking a lot of my boxes. But I, yeah, I need to contact them about it. There are a number of other games that I'm looking forward to um, at Essen this year. I haven't played the new CGAE game yet, Kudna Hora. Uh, I'm going to be playing it at some point, but I am looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the next Lost Ruins of Arnak expansion. And I can say that because I'm no longer doing really any work with CGE. So I haven't played either of those games. Uh, I, I am not planning on doing any sponsored coverage for either of those games. So I am aware of them and I'm, I'm looking forward to both of them. Um, and yeah, there's a few other games that I'm looking forward to as well that are coming out. Um, there's a Bitoko expansion, which I'm... Uh, 
Bitoku is a great game. And I mean, it was, it was my number one favorite game of two years ago, but does it need an expansion? I don't think it does need an expansion, but I'm interested in that one. Um, Devere have also got another couple of titles that I'm looking forward to this year. So yeah, there's, there's a few. There's a few. Uh, Carolina is asking, have I ever played Final Girl? Uh, and if yes, what did I think about the game and which one is your favorite? I haven't. Uh, I am aware of Final Girl. I am also aware that it is a very big popular game that did massively, massively well on Kickstarter. I haven't played it. Um, I'm not really into the horror genre, so I've never really been interested in the theme of the game, but I have heard it is a very good game, um, but I've, I've yet to experience it. Um, and going back to something that I talked about earlier on, um, Van Ryder Games. So AJ from Van Ryder Games, really nice guy, met him a few times, uh, chatted with him a few times at various conventions over the years, not seen him in a few years because of COVID. Van Ryder Games had a booth at UK Games Expo this year. Uh, and one of my friends who lives fairly close to me, Steve Manser, he was working at the Van Ryder Games booth. And I thought, I've not seen AJ for like three years. So I went went up to see AJ and had a good chat with him and everything else. And to be fair, AJ said, look, we, we've got some copies of Final Girl here. Do you want to do you want to take some? Do you want review copies of the games? And I politely declined. And you might be thinking, well, why would I do that? Why would I say no? Um, but it, it's like what I said earlier on. And it, it, it pains me because I'm there and I'm a gamer. And here's a game and I'm being offered a free copy of this game that I've heard is really good. And if I did some playthrough videos on the channel, lots of my supporters would want to see it. But I don't have time. And that's the problem. And I said to AJ, I said, look, I'm not being funny. And I, and I really appreciate you offering me free review copies of the games. But, it, you know, if I'm not going to be able to have time to produce any content for it, I'll just feel bad because you've given me a copy of the game and I'm sitting there with it on the shelf and I've not had a chance to play it. Um, so, yeah, so I, I turned that down. Um, yeah, that's that's how it is. I've not had a chance to play it. Um, I don't know whether I ever will. As I say, thematically, it's not something that's high on my list, but I do want to try it just because... Lots of other people have said it's really good. Next wish, next question from Foodwood Stone Gold. Great, great YouTube name. Um, do I think certain board game components, e.g., Food, Wood, Stone, and Gold, <laughs> have become so universal that publishers should give consumers an option to not include them in the game? No, I don't think so. Uh, I know it would save costs, but the problem is. There's, there's the, the biggest problem here is if you were to produce two versions of a board game, one with the components and one without the components, that might sound from a consumer's point of view, that might sound like a really good idea. However, from a logistics point of view, that's a nightmare for a publisher. And this is why some publishers um, put five different language rule books in each game. Well, that's one of the reasons. Um, because, yeah, logistically, there will be mistakes made. Um, so it's just easier to send them all out the same. And if you include, if you have some games which do not include the components, then what what happens if it, that happens to be somebody's first game that they've bought? I mean, I remember 20-odd years ago, Steve Jackson Games published a game called um, Proteus, which is a game based on chess where you play with dice. 
and they didn't even include a paper sheet which was a chessboard they went you're just gonna have to use your own chessboard and i think and i think it might have been a steve jackson games again i think they published a game that required dice and didn't include the dice because they said well everybody's got dice so we're going to save money and not include the dice i think that's a really bad thing to do i think when you buy a game that game should come with the components that you need to play the game personally that's that's my opinion on it so no i don't think uh, i don't think uh, publishers should give consumers an option to buy games without components but i've never been asked that question before and it is actually a really good question and i can see where you're coming from with it but when you look at the logistics of board game production i don't think it's going to be feasible uh next question also from carolina again uh hoplomarchus victorum remastered or too many bones which one would you recommend to get now i've played all of those games um in fact yeah i played hoplomarchus remastered for the first time on the channel on friday so if you're interested in seeing that uh me and uh rob turner um we played two games of Hoplomarchus Remastered on the Friday, just gone. The first of those was live-streamed. It's on the channel now if you want to watch it. So I have played Hoplomarchus Remastered. I have played Hoplomarchus Victorum. And I have played Too Many Bones. Which one would I recommend to get? There's, I cannot say which one you should get because it really depends what you want. First of all, Hoplomarchus and Too Many Bones are completely different games. Too Many Bones is a fantasy dice building. It's not. I don't class it as an RPG, but you have a character. Uh, the character gets better as over the course. Uh, there's a little bit of narrative, but it's basically a series of skirmishes. But your character is developing, the character is evolving, you're getting better, and then you're fighting a boss at the end of it. Too Many Bones is a one-to-four-player game, uh, and games take anywhere from three to eight hours depending on the length of the game and how many players you've got and everything else. Hoplomarchus Remastered is purely a gladiatorial combat game. There's no campaign element or anything like that. You are just in an arena and it is a tactical combat game. There's no narrative, there's no story, there's no character progression, there's no evolution, there's no narrative, there's none of that stuff. It is just gladiators fighting in an arena it's a good game the mechanics are very good the production quality is very good and you can play it solo against some titans there's an onslaught mode there's a ascension mode there's a something else mode but they are all individual let's just have a fight and you have a fight and and you win the fight hoplomarchus victorum takes on the hoplomarchus mechanisms and turns it into a solo campaign game where you are progressing your character and developing it and everything else and you play over a series of four acts each act is going to take you about three or four hours to complete so you're not going to be able to play it all in one sitting unless you have you know get up very early one day and play it non-stop so all three games tick slightly different boxes the first the the, the, the two hoplomarchus games share game mechanisms uh and hoplomarchus victorum and too many bones share the fact that they are campaign games that where your character develops but victorum is a purely a solo game too many bones is multiplayer game so it really depends what you want out of a game i have covered them all on the channel and i like all of them and i will play each of them in yeah depending on what what i want to play at the time uh next question from tony building on the previous resource question from food wood stone gold 
do I think game companies should standardize on three card sizes so that gamers don't have loads of useless half-used packs of card sleeves? Yes, Tony. Um, I'd, I'd love them to. And I'm a big proponent of standard-sized cards. But we do have... I think we're going to have to have more than three. There are the CCG style cards, the three and a half by two and a half cards used for lots of CCGs and lots of card games. Um, there's the European size cards, which are kind of narrower. narrower. Um, then there's the mini ones, but there's two or three different mini ones. But now we've just got loads. We, we, I, I think we've got too many. Um, and there are some publishers who are still producing games with unusual card sizes. And I'm like, really? You've got 12 different standard sizes now and still you're doing another one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we have too many, but I think we have enough now that no publisher should need to now produce a card size which there isn't already a sleeve for because we've already got enough, I think. So maybe not three, but maybe ten. Um, next question uh, from D Zipperoni. Have I ever tried a Swedish game cub? Yes, we've got a copy of it. Um, yeah, I've got mini cub. This is the one with wooden blocks where you line them up and you throw them at the other side and try and knock them down. Def definitely played it. I think I've played the big version and I think we have a mini version of it um, in the other room. Uh, I don't know if it's complete. I think I lost some of the bits from it. I know I don't know. I don't know how or where, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely tried it. I didn't realize it was Swedish. Next question from Peter. I have mentioned that I will do my top ten of 2022 during the summer of 2023. Do I have a date? No, I don't, Peter. But I have a Google sheet with a list of every single thing that I need to do in an in priority order and. Find a date to do my top 10 games of 2022 is on that list. My worry is that I don't know when I'm going to have time to do it. I really need to get the Voidfall, Voidfall video finished, which will hopefully be done before the wedding. And then I really want to do it before I start work on the next project, because otherwise it will just slip. So it's probably going to be August. Yeah, I really need to get it done in August. Right. Next question from Rob. How much do I still play Mage Knight? Not, not a lot. I, I can't remember the last time I played it. Um, I don't get to play it anywhere near as much as I'd like to play it. And it pains me. But yeah, I, I love the game. Still my number one game. I just don't get a chance to play it. Next question for Matt's. How are my pat, uh, pattern supporters? I assume that's Patreon supporters. Um, how are my patron supporters distributed by geography? We had, we had this question last month or the month before. I think we had this question a couple of months ago and I don't know and I can't find that out easily. Um, I have a lot of information about each one of them on Patreon. I have their email address, things like that, but I don't have where they are. So it, it would be a pure guess. And we actually had this question, as I say, a couple of months ago, and there was lots of interesting discussion on the Slack channel because a lot of people thought that 75% of my supporters were UK-based, and I think it's closer to probably 50% or something like that. Um, I do have a lot of Patreon supporters in the US and Canada. I have a few in Europe, and I have a few um, in the sort of eastern zones, um, Asia, and a couple in Australia as well. Um, so yeah, I would say mostly UK-based, 
but I, my rough guess would be about 50%. Um, Tony is asking, is there a reason why I don't talk about MidCon in my list of UK conventions? The main reason, uh, Tony, that I didn't list MidCon is I've been once um, and I didn't enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, it's not a convention that I go to regularly, whereas the other ones that I mentioned, uh, you know, Manacon I've been to 15 times, Baycon I've been to 15 times, Handicon hasn't had 15 of them, but I've been to most of those. Um, so, yeah, I went to Midcon once. It was probably about 10 years ago. I think it was about 10 years ago. I can't quite remember. Maybe it was more. Because I think I was still living in Hertfordshire when I went to Midcon. Yeah. So it was. It would have been 15 years ago when I last went to Midcon. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people who go to Midcon regularly and they enjoy it. But the one year I went, it was way too cramped. I mean, literally the room, you couldn't move your chair without bumping into somebody else's chair. The room was just way, way, way too full that we ended up having to leave that room because there's nowhere to sit and sit in the bar area and play Euro games on tiny little tables. So again, don't, you know, this was the one time that I went. I'm pretty sure they've moved venues since then. Uh, so this is not a knock on the designers or the designers, the organizers or anything like that. It was just my one experience of going was not a good experience because there was it was just way too small. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't go to MidCon. It's it's a bit far away from me now. Uh, next question from Dimitri. What historical event would I like to be used as a theme for a board game? Oh, and now he hasn't said which hasn't already been done. <laughs> this is a really good question. I think, Dimitri, this is the next question for the guild. So again, Chrissy, if you're still here, if you could put this question uh, on the guild, I will send it. I will. I will send it to you on Slack now. That's probably the best way of doing it. Uh, where are you? You're there. 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 Right. Okay. So the and again, if you're watching this live, let me know now in the chat. Uh, and if you're watching this video back afterwards, head on over to the guild. Guild number two two five eight. On Board Game Geek, and there is going to be a question appearing in the next few minutes. And that question is What historical event would you like to be used as a theme for a board game? Bracket, or yeah, for example, global disasters, dinosaurs, technological progresses, and so on. This is not something that I can immediately think of myself. So, again, what I'll do is I will, at some point over the next few days, I will look. On the, on the Board Game Geek Guild, I will have a look at what other people have replied. I'm trying to think of a historical event. Have you got any that you can think of? A historical event that you would like to see? I mean, you're not, Vicky's not really a board gamer as such, so you probably wouldn't get excited about it. I mean, even something like the building of Blackpool Tower, because I'm from Blackpool, that's no interest to me whatsoever. I'm like, nah, well, that's a bit rubbish. But what questions have we got in the chat? What questions have we got in the chat? The wedding. Our wedding. <laughs> As a board game. Well, yeah. Maybe the day itself, but all of the stuff that goes ahead of it time. Peter Russian said, trading in the Mediterranean could be a popular setting for a game. Yeah, it could be. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, let, let us know. Go Head on over to the guild and put your comments in the guild as to, as to what you'd like to see. 
Right, next question from Jeremy. If you consider game design as an art form, then what are some board games that you would consider artistic achievements and why? Well, to answer the question literally, if I consider board game design an art form, which I kind of do because it's creative in nature, although a lot of that creativity that we see is more the artwork and the graphic design, um, then what are some board games that you would consider artistic achievements? Lots of them. I mean, you know, if we if we go to Mage Knight, for example, Mage Knight for me is an absolutely massive achievement in terms of board game design. Uh, how Larger managed to create such, I mean, most of Larger's games, to be honest, you know, through the ages, um, Dungeon Lords, Mage Knight, I'm trying to think of other larger games which I would class as just absolute masterpieces of design. Um, but we have we have other ones as well. We have so many, so many good games. I'm looking around this room, I'm thinking Gloomhaven. I mean, Gloomhaven, whether you like Gloomhaven or not, you've got to acknowledge the fact that he's designed a very, very popular game. And it and I know some people watching this video probably hate Gloomhaven, but surely you must appreciate that it's just you that doesn't like it. It's not a bad game. If it was a bad game, millions of people are not that stupid. Millions of people love the game and play... Well, thousands. Um, thousands of people love the game and enjoy playing it because it's a good game. Um, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking... I mean, a lot of these are great games. Aeon's End is a fantastic game. Do I consider it a masterpiece of game design? not in the same way as the other ones. I'm thinking particularly heavy, complex games that I would think are such such a, a, a great design. Um, even something like Alexander Pfister's games. I mean, I'm a bit of a Alexander Pfister fanboy, but things like Great Western Trail and Maracaibo, whilst not as heavy as the other ones that I've mentioned, there's still a lot going on. Um, and then you look at some Feld games, which are lighter, but they are just masterpieces of design. There is one game that I do need to mention. Um, and this is a game which is sat on the table in front of me. And I played this last night. And this is my fourth game of this. Um, and I, I I don't want to gush too much about it. Because I have, I have issues with those content creators that do videos on games that constantly tell you that this is the best game ever. And they tell you how, how good the game is, normally because it was a sponsored video. Um, and they tell you how fantastic the game is and they give you the sales pitch about the game. And then a week later, they're doing another video telling you how great the next game is. And you hear all of these quotes, which are great for marketing people. Oh, this game is straight away into my top 10 games of all time. And you see this on Kickstarter pages. And it, it kind of annoys me a bit, even though I'm a content creator and I do videos, and some of my quotes get used on these Kickstarter pages. Um, and there is one game which I am currently in the process of creating a commissioned how to play video for. Uh, and if you if you think that my opinion on this game is influenced at all by the fact that I am doing paid content for it, then I'm, I'm not. OK, and those of you that watch me regularly and know me know that I don't do that. But I'm going to pick it up and it's got a bit of green in it. 
So it might not show on the camera very well, but this is this is Voidfall. So I've played Voidfall four times now, but the first three times, thank you. The first three times I've been playing through the tutorial mission. And last night, JP came over and we played our first proper full game of Voidfall with the training wheels off, where we played a proper game of it. And I was absolutely blown away to the point where I couldn't sleep until about 2.30 this morning. And now I'm a complete wreck. So um, I don't even know what the what the question was. <laughs> oh, a, a board game design that I consider an artistic achievement. This game is just amazing. It is phenomenal. And me and JP were talking about this last night after the stream. The amount of effort that Nigel Buckle and David Turtsey have put into creating this game, the development work from the Mind Clash team that has gone into this game, the artwork and the graphic design from Sir Ian O'Toole. He's not a Sir, but he is in my eyes. This game absolutely blew my mind. And somebody asked earlier on, what would it take for a game to knock off Mage Knight as my number one game? Right now, this is coming close. It's so good. It is so good. So, this this is a game, and there's many, many others, but Voidfall, absolutely, if we were to take game design as an art form, this definitely deserves an achievement. Anyway, gushing over... Um, uh, from Deza Ferroni, what advice would I give to somebody who would like to get into rulebook editing? How do you get in touch with developers and whatnot? So I've been asked this question many, many, many times over the last 10 years. And my the way that I got into rulebook editing was a strange series of coincidences, which is not something which anybody can easily replicate. Basically, I had uh, a couple of open doors to me with working with a few publishers and getting some experience of the process. Uh, and I was effectively working for free. So I had a full-time job, uh, well-paid job working somewhere else before gaming rules was even a thing. And what happened is I was so passionate about the hobby, so passionate about the games, I wanted to do more. And I started approaching publishers and offering to help them with anything they wanted. And I didn't just approach any old publishers. I was approaching publishers who were making games that I loved. So check games edition, watch your game. And I was approaching those and say, look, I'm a fan of your games. I love your games. If there's anything I can do to help whatsoever. And that led to me getting sent rule books, which I started helping out proofreading and things like that. And basically over a, over a period of a few years, I did this more and more and more. And I eventually learned a lot of skills of workflow processes, proofreading, editing, version control, and all of that lot. None of this was paid for. I was doing all of this completely for free because I, I enjoyed doing it. And I was I felt like I was helping a company that I really liked making their games. And I really don't like the fact that people work for free. I believe if you're going to do a job, and I really don't like the fact that publishers can take advantage of some fans and use them for free editing services but that's exactly what i did and it worked for me so 
there is no way that you can start writing to publishers and offering your services if you don't have a track record. Um, you know, knock, knock, knock. Hello, Mr. You know, Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, I've never done any rulebook editing before, but I'd like to start editing your rulebooks. It's just not, it's not, not, not going to work. Um, you need to be a rulebook editor and have a reputation and have a number of rulebooks under your belt before you, before you do that. But what you could do is you could contact some publishers who you, who make games that you enjoy and offer to help and just start, start doing it. But be very careful about doing too much work for free. Although I did that for years and it, it worked for me. So it's, it's a difficult one. Uh, how do you get in touch with them? You literally just contact them via their, via their website or you go and see them at conventions or, or anything like that. But I would recommend trying to build up uh, a relationship with them. Um, yeah, first. Right, it is 25 past six. So at this point, I'm going to say no more questions, please, uh, because I need to disappear. We need to get food. And then I need to go around to Rick and Victoria's and play Aeon Trespass Odyssey tonight. So yeah, no more questions for now. I am now going to go through all of the rest of the questions that we've been asked and then a quick update on the contest, and then we're done for today. So, uh, next question from Tig. Is there a reason that games aren't reprinted despite their being in demand? What are the blockers? Or is it an intentional ploy by the manufacturers to get consumers focusing on new stuff? Right, it's not... Um, it's not an intentional ploy by manufacturers to get consumers focusing on new stuff. It's not that at all. But why are there older games not being reprinted despite there being demand? Well, my my take on this, and this is just my thoughts on it, is the perceived demand is different from the realistic demand. So you might know of 500 people who want a copy of... Let's just look around the room and see if I can see a game in this room which is out of print. Okay, Cooper Island. Let's say Cooper Island. Let's say Cooper Island, you can't get it anymore. Let's say that it's out of print. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably not, but let's just say it is. And you know 500 people that want a copy of Cooper Island. So why are they not going to reprint it? Well, they need to print 5,000 of them in order for it to be viable. Maybe not 5,000, maybe 2,000. So you have the problem as a publisher of... Right, we're going to do another print run. How many are we going to print? Because if you print 2,000 and then only 500 sell and the other 1,500 sit in your warehouse and you pay warehousing fees and then eventually you throw them away, you've lost money. So the reality of the situation, and this goes back to things that I was touching on earlier on, is people would prefer to see something new rather than a reprint of an old game. Now, there are some games that get reprints, regular reprints, because they come out and they're still popular and they're still being sold, but not many, not many. So yeah, I think it's just the logistics of uh, the cost, even if there is a perceived demand. Uh, next question, uh, Kanye Studios, sorry, Kanji Studios, pronounce it correctly. Hi, Derek, thank you for joining in. Uh, somebody brought up a topic about sponsored opinions and said there should be no opinions at all when it's sponsored. What are my thoughts? Yeah, I've spoken about this a few times before. Um, and whenever I'm doing a sponsored video, there should absolutely be no opinions in that video. 
absolutely no opinions in the video whatsoever. So for example, on Tuesday, this week, yesterday, we did a live playthrough of Hamlet by the, by, I keep saying by the sea, it's not by the sea, it's Hamlet by the lake. That was a sponsored video that I did on my channel yesterday to help the Kickstarter campaign. It was commissioned by the publisher. I got paid for creating it. Uh, and I gave some of that payment on to the two guests who were with me yesterday, because without them, I can't do the video. That's how I work. Any any guests that I have on my videos, um, that on a commissioned video that I was paid to create, I give some of that payment to them. But you won't find any opinions from any of us in that video itself. That's not to say that we don't have our opinions of the game. And afterwards, we went onto our Slack channel and we had a chat about the game and we we talked about what we what we liked about the game and things like that. But you won't find any in that video itself. So if it's a sponsored video, there should be no opinions in it. Uh, and you will find that with with all of the sponsored content that I create. However. Ultimately, I'm a gamer. I am just like you. I am a gamer. I have my own things that I like. I have my own things that I don't like. And I want to talk about them. Now, thankfully for me, I have my patron supporters. I have my Slack channel where I can go onto my Slack channel and I can be honest and we can have discussions and I can give more in-depth opinions on the game, things that I liked about it, things that I didn't like about it. And even on games that I really, really love. I can say, look, I really love this game. It was great. You know, everything about it I really enjoyed, but I did feel that it ran a little bit longer than it should have done. Right. And and I I have an outlet for my opinions because I have thoughts and it frustrates me sometimes that I can't share a lot of these thoughts, but I but I can't share those within a sponsored video. If a video was sponsored by the publisher, then I firmly believe that it is irresponsible, immoral and unethical for the content creator to share their personal opinions on a game in a video that was sponsored. It's just wrong. It's just, it's just, yeah. <laughs> um, also, in my monthly video logs, I made a decision a few months ago to be a little bit more open and honest with the games that I've played, even if I was, even if it was a sponsored video. Uh, and that was based on feedback that I'd had from other people, but it was also a growing frustration that I had. So in my monthly video logs, where I spend like an hour talking about all of the games that I've played in a month, sorry, Claude, um, I was finding that at least 50 to 60% of the games that I play every month, I was like, oh, I can't talk about this because it was a sponsored video. Oh, and I played Voidfall. Yeah, I can't talk about that because it was a sponsored video. Oh, and oh, and there's this, and I, I can't talk about that because it was a sponsored video. And I thought, yeah, and this is the feedback that I had. Lots of people were watching my videos going, Paul, you're listing these games that you played, but you're not talking about them very much because you're so nervous about it. So I made a decision probably about six months or so ago now that in my monthly video logs, I would be a bit more open and honest about my opinions on the games. And I announced this and I spoke to publishers about it and I spoke to my supporters about it and everybody, everybody was fully on board with it. Everybody said, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine. You can be more honest in your monthly video logs as long as you don't share that opinion within a sponsored video. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's my thoughts on that. I, I could talk about this in a lot more detail. Um, yeah, but that's that's how it is. Right, next. Baz, what is my most replayable mid to heavyweight game in my top 10? Mage Knight, easy. That, that's, that's, that's really easy. Unless, I mean, you've said it's my most replayable mid to heavyweight game in my top 10. Mage Knight is a heavyweight game. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it, it is it is one of the most replayable games. But if we look at my top 10, which I don't actually have a top 10, but let's list some games that would be in my top 10. Great Western Trail, massively, massively replayable. Maracaibo, massively replayable. Peace for Odin, massively replayable. I think most of the games in my top 10 are massively replayable games. Arkham Horror the Card Game, massively replayable. Even if you play the same campaign again, you play it with different characters, you choose different options, you know, it will play out differently. Voidfall, let's just let's just talk about Voidfall again. How replayable is Voidfall? Well, for those people who have backed Voidfall, when you see the amount of content in the game, the number of different scenarios, the number of different ways you can play the game, huge, absolutely huge. Uh, we look at games like Too Many Bones, whilst not personally in my top 10. Um, but, you know, yeah, replayability is a, is, a, is a big thing. And a lot of my top 10 games are in the top 10 because they are massively replayable. The final question for today is from Attila. Do I think about designing and publishing a board game? If so, what kind of game would you design? Right, two questions here. Designing a game, yes. Publishing a game, no. Absolutely, 100% not. Um, and even if I had dreams of publishing a game 10 years ago, now that I work in the industry and I see everything that is required to publish a game, I don't want anything to do with that. I have, it would just, yeah, it would be very, very bad for me to even think about publishing my own game. I would get somebody else to publish a game. As far as designing a game, yeah, I've had so many ideas over the years of designing a game, but ultimately, and, and literally this, this, this frustrated me for about 10 years of my life, that I wanted design wanted to design my own game and I was getting more and more frustrated by the fact that I wasn't doing it, I couldn't do it or whatever. I've got through that now. I play so many great games every single week that I have now accepted that I probably won't design a game. And if I do design a game, it won't be a very good game. So what's the point in me designing a game when it actually won't be very good. I will leave that to the experts. I will do what I do. We all have our own skills. And whilst I have dreams of my own game, I was designing a game based on the Anno series of computer games 15 years ago. Now, a lot of the things that I wanted to do in that game have been done by other games since. Uh, I want to design, I, want, I was designing about 25 years ago, a collectible card game based on Dungeons and Dragons. And there are a few CCGs that have come out over the years that actually used the exact mechanisms that I came up with. Um, I've also, in my mind, I've been working on Gloomhaven the card game for the last three or four years, but I've not really done anything about it because I don't have any time. But ultimately, there are some people out there that are very, very good game designers and that's their skill set and that's what they're great at. And I'm not great at that. 
So I've chosen to just do what I do instead. Anyway, that's it. We are all done. So just before we finish, let's just mention the contest again. If you are watching this video either live or if you're watching this video back, as long as you're watching this video back before the 9th of August 2023. So as long as you're watching the video anywhere from now to the 9th of August 2023, you can enter the contest. The contest link is in the chat. It's going to be in the chat. It's going to be in the chat and it's also in the description of the video. Uh, you can enter the contest and you can win £50 worth of vouchers from Games Law. Uh, so again, big thank you to Games Law, the UK's largest specialist games retailer in the UK. Uh, for donating £25 worth of vouchers and the other £25 comes from myself. Congratulations to Mindy, who won the contest last month. Let us know, Mindy, what you spend the vouchers on uh, and good luck. All you need to do to enter the contest is click on the link, choose your own secret word. We're doing something very different this month. We're having you choose what your secret word is and that's it. I'll do the draw uh, in a month from now. So that's it. We're all done. Thank you very much to everybody who's been watching tonight. We've got to disappear, get dinner, and then I'm off out tonight to play Aeon Trespass Odyssey. If you are one of my Patreon supporters, uh, then I will be sending you a link very soon because uh, it will be live streamed tonight. But it won't be it won't be public. It won't be on the public channel. Uh, but if you are a Patreon supporter of mine, you get exclusive access to a behind the scenes video. It's basically I'm going around to Rick and Victoria's house. I'm setting up a webcam, and I'm going to press I'm going to press um, go live, and that's it. So it's very very low quality. Uh, behind the scenes video of us playing that but that's going to be happening in an hour and a half time so i better get gone thank you very much again to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel and i will see some of you live on friday for a playthrough of trials of tempest from WizKids, a dungeons and dragons themed game that's what i'm doing on friday evening so if you're interested in that that'll be going live on friday we're all done thanks very much again take care we'll see you next time bye bye